Welcome to Our Last Meal, the podcast on grief, loss, and food. I'm your host, Andrew, and every episode I talk with a guest about someone important in their life, someone that they've lost, and what role, role food played in their relationship. This week, I talk with the host of the Whiskey Lodian podcast, Ty, about his friend and himself. We talked about whiskey, corniness, parenthood, and delicious food. A few warnings up top, though. This episode is marked explicit due to language, so if you have young ears around you, please be mindful. Um, as always, the podcast does touch on sensitive topics such as grief and loss, but this week isn't about death. Now, with that being said, let's jump into the episode. All right. Hello and welcome to Our Last Mill, the podcast where each week we talk to a guest about grief, loss, and food. I'm your host, Andrew, and today I'm joined by a personal friend and host of the Drunk Nickelodeon Rewatch podcast, Whiskey Lodian, Ty. Ty, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I'm really good, man. I am so glad that you're here. Uh, this is a conversation I've been looking forward to for a while. Well, I'm excited to be on here, man. It's I appreciate when people can have a real honest conversation. Same. And I, I appreciate the fact that this is an excuse for me to record and also have a glass of bourbon. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know what? Hey, I'm going to ask you. Yeah, we'll go and give a cheers. Uh, what are you having tonight? So I have Old Granddad Bonded. Fantastic. And uh, how was that? If you had to give it's that pretty a pretty good. If I, if I had to put it in a scale of one to 10, I would say by itself, I had uh, just one rock. Um, I would say it's, it's a solid seven. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I'm a, I'm personally having a Henry McKenna 10 year. You know, we talked Ooh. about this a little bit before the podcast started. Um, this is a very good bourbon. Um, but will you give just a little bit of context? I typically I like to do plugs at the end of the show, but I, I feel like it bears uh it bears talking about up top so people don't think that I'm just an alcoholic. But uh, you know, why why is whiskey appropriate for our podcast tonight? <laughs> so as you mentioned before, uh, I am uh, one of two hosts for the Drunk Nickelodeon Rewatch podcast called Whiskey Lodian, where every episode we are covering the old school Nickelodeon shows while drinking a whiskey or whiskey cocktail. Yeah, and now I will say I listened to every single episode. Uh, I saw that you'd posted on Facebook. Um, Ty and I go back oh, more oh than a decade, goodness. maybe not fifty. Not a know. decade or not more. Yeah, definitely more. Um, so, in we both live in and around the Charlotte area, and we we used to do stand up together um, many many years ago, and that's how we met. So seeing that you were doing a podcast, I knew that it was going to be fun. I knew that there'd be a lot of humor, and it, it did not disappoint. Oh, thank you. Now, um, Keep going. So, Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what was your favorite part about going back and rewatching all this old Nickelodeon? For me, it was it, it's really interesting because there was a study done that for comfort – People will rewatch old shows because they already know what's going to happen. It's, it's kind of comforting for that. And so originally, Whiskey Loading started out as just a hangout. So we, we'd really? go over to my friend's house. We'd wear pajamas. We would make whiskey or whiskey cocktails. And we're just watching Nickelodeon and just bonding, just having a great time rewatching stuff we loved. Uh, taking bets on which team we thought was going to win uh, Legends <laughs> of the Hidden Temple. Uh, I mean, it was just... They're filled with memories of community for me. Because if I wasn't watching with friends, I was watching with family. Uh, when I was younger, I was watching with friends. Or I'd get to school and be like, oh my gosh, did you see this episode of that? And 
uh, Rocket Power or Avatar Last Airbender. Like it was very much a topic of community for us. It was something we would watch together, experience together, and just kind of a way of, you know, I don't want to be corny, but in the time where everything's very stressful, my friend and I wanted to give the gift of just let me give you a good laugh and some fond memories. See that if if that's corny, I, I I'm okay with it because first of all, corny implies there's something wrong with it. Um, th- there's a the rapper. I don't know if you know George Watsky. He um he had a line in one of the songs. I'm not sure which one it was, but he basically said that you know. Is he just like was, the white super fast rapper? Yeah, one of them. Uh, he the song was called uh, "To Christina Lee," I believe. It was about a classmate of his who passed away, um, either in or shortly after high school. But you know, he he called out the fact that she was always brave enough to to be very hard on her sleeve, and this idea that you know there is truth and corniness that a lot of people aren't brave enough to say. And I feel like this is something that gets beaten out of us as we get older. You know, being corny or cliche or being a little more open with your emotions and not being afraid of, you know, just letting people know how you feel about something. If, if that's being corny, screw it. That's that there's nothing wrong with that. You know, the idea of putting a little bit of positivity in the world um, could have been worse. You could have made a podcast about death and loss because um, that's exactly <laughs> what we need right now. No, I, I, I really did like it though. And you mentioned um, avatar. So I, I never watched avatar growing up. Um, but my wife actually watched it about a year and a half, uh, year and a half ago on Netflix. Um, she never watched it either, but she told me how great it was. So we went back and rewatched it together, and I fell in love with it. I oh, loved that's Avatar. Good, man. We yeah. actually just finished uh, our second rewatch of Avatar, uh, of Last Airbender, and Korra uh, last week. Ah, oh, that's a beautiful thing. That's because I. I love my wife. She's not as nerdy as me. So oh, uh, my my co-host uh, Sean. Uh, who's also with me on the Whiskey Loading Podcast, he had never seen it. And we got him to watch it. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I was like, oh, I know, right? And... <laughs> well, it's, 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 uh, it's an animated kid show. It had no business being as good as it was. It had no business talking about the horrors of war and how there's really no good side in war. Exactly. This, this, you have a 12-year-old monk who at one point is sliding like a penguin down ice, then having to, you know, like, oh, I don't want to kill somebody. I don't want to kill people. Like, the, the, to deal the, with the genocide of his people. Ex- I, how? Oh, and they, sorry. Uh, if you haven't seen Avatar Last Airbender, spoiler alert. I apologize. Yeah. It's over yeah. 10 years old, but still. A lot of genocide in that it. show. Um, it, that's the thing. Even knowing, even if you that there was a spoiler there, it is absolutely worth watching. Um, what what blew my mind was that they could handle drama one in a way that felt appropriate for you know preteens that you know okay this is something that they could process but then they knew how to to really build it up into a really sad moment and then hit you with a joke and bring it right back and they 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 really walked a really fine line there and they did it so well mm, agreed now so so i also have to ask so Thinking back to your childhood, what was your favorite? You know, I think we could go, we could, I'm going to hit you with both. Okay. Favorite live action Nickelodeon show growing up. Favorite Nicktoon. Ooh, that's going to be tough. Um, Because I, uh, I've explained this on my podcast, but I'll go ahead and explain it here too. I don't have a favorite whiskey. 
for me, I can appreciate what each one brings to the table and not be like, well, this one's better. No, they each bring something different. And you can appreciate it or you can be like, eh, not for me. Um, for Nicktoons, I, I'm going to have to say Avatar is probably my favorite. But I also can't discount like Rocket Power, uh, Rugrats. Um, I, I was really into Rocco's Modern Life. And going back into it, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much weirder than I remember. <laughs> Uh, as far as live action, I, I mean, all that was always my jam, but I also had a soft spot for Clarissa explains it all. Clarissa explains it all does not get enough love and no, it doesn't. respect. And we're it covering a... it in this season of Whiskey Lodian. <laughs> so you're covering it on the upcoming season? Yes. Very. Good. So we're covering it, that, that and the Secret Life of Alex Mack. Oh, thank God! I that was one that I loved growing up, and I don't remember. If, did, I don't know if you're a co-host if he'd seen it before, because I remember towards the end you talking, one of you talking about Secret Life of Alex Mack, um, as told by Ginger. I thought oh, both of those were great by shows. Ginger. Oh, yeah, but I mean Nickelodeon was where it was at. It was like Nickelodeon, and then you had Cartoon Network had a great lineup as well. So there's going to be a spinoff called Cocktail Network. Uh, <laughs> Beautiful. But, but yeah, like it's just, there were so many really great shows. Samurai Jack, man, I can go on, but honestly, we're we, here, are we? That's not why we're here, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so no, this, uh, this podcast, Our Last Mill, um, it is about uh, grief, loss, of course, but tying it to food. And, you know, you and I talked before we started recording just about how we have so many memories that we tie to food. And you made a really good point around taste and memory. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. So there was a study done where they were able to attribute a lot of memories through taste. Uh, you see examples of this in, in movies and shows. So you can take Ratatouille. You have the the villain, the person who's going to get Gustav shut down. And he has this Ratatouille and immediately remembers how his mom made it. Like, food can bring back a powerful memory. Same with scent. But it's just, it's so powerful to even make that memory. Yeah. That oftentimes, it doesn't need to be a memorable event, just that the food was that memorable. And that's the thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's not necessarily that it takes you back to some some big occasion, you know. When I think about great meals, I, you know, I, we were talking about, you know, my grandparents and food that I associate with them and memories of my childhood there. There's no food I eat that takes me back to like a big a party or an event. Like I think about, I can think about Thanksgiving or Christmas Day meals we would have together. But that's not what sticks out of my head. It's not big to me. It's not big specific events. It's just the, the being with them. It's just the being, you know, with my grandparents and with my cousins and just being around family and being surrounded by love like that. That's where I go with it. That's I don't know if you go with it. I mean, I so. I grew up in a very blandly cooked family. Like my my stepmom was Puerto Rican. But she wasn't making Latin food. She she made pork chops. Oh no, that, I'm sorry. Was, that was like cooked with Italian dressing, and I loved it. Like that's I didn't know better. That was the thing. It's like oh my goodness, Walmart cake is amazing. I didn't know better. I didn't have anything else. 
And then I lived in Alaska for a couple of years. And I had to cook for myself. Yeah. So between that and having black friends, I learned about flavor and how to season. <laughs> and it changed my world. So, I, you know, it's, it's funny how... And it's it's like you you love the food so you know growing up I, and I got to give my mom credit for this my mom she was a very good cook and she, my mom she tried to be like oh I'm going to be kind of inventive and kind of creative like oh we're gonna have Italian chicken tonight we're gonna have teriyaki chicken tonight when I was a kid I was like man my mom she's she's all over the globe she's sitting in Italy she's sitting wherever teriyaki comes from you know and now that I'm older I realize like okay that she was just baking chicken in Italian dressing she was just. <laughs> buying a bottle of teriyaki sauce and pan frying chicken in that it was but she tried and i and i'll tell you if i if i had a chance right now to step back in time and eat you know this italian chicken made by my by my mom in a heartbeat i'm doing this you know and also i won't discount she made the the best homemade chicken and dumplings i've ever had that it's challenge accepted man I mean, if you think you can outdo it, I'll give you a shot. But it, it's well, a, it's 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 not even me. Uh, I was introduced to chicken and dumplings through my wife's family. Okay, and I was like, how have I not had this before? <laughs> it's it's a big bowl of comfort food, isn't it? It is, and then just the way it, it's not even soupy. It's almost like kind of like saucy. It's just very thick yeah. and comforting, and ugh. You know, it's it's funny. You know. I don't know if you've ever had this feeling. Have you ever had a dish as an adult? You had no frame of reference for it. But as soon as you bit into it, you're like, oh, this is comfort food. This is immediately, I feel secure like a child. I've had that experience once in my life. And I'm just curious about if you've ever had that. Coming to mind are not comfort foods, but I've had experiences like that. So growing up very bland, I was not adventurous eating, Um, but one of the first families I met in Alaska uh, was a group called uh, a family called the Tamanahats. They're Hawaiian, but they lived in Alaska, but they were so cool. And my roommate and I were trying to help the dad quit smoking. Okay. And so I was new. I had been in Alaska for about a week. And my roommate was like, hey, uh, Mr. Tamanaha, uh, Ty here doesn't like seafood. And I didn't. Because I was raised that if it smelled like garbage, it's supposed to go in the garbage. <laughs> And, and to be fair to people, uh, I lived in the mountains of North Carolina, a small village outside of Asheville. So I did not have access to quality fish, but yeah. this family did not accept that. And so they're like, look, if I want to stop smoking, you got to start eating seafood. And my, my roommate planned this. This was premeditated because before we get there, he tells me like, hey, Polynesian people are very get forward they want to give you gifts it's a symbol of like hey let me shower you in generosity because in a sense it opens them up to generosity in return and uh so it's like it's very offensive to refuse a gift so they immediately come out with uh tuna sashimi just straight out the gate raw tuna steak and i eat that and then they brought out zero to sixty zero to sixty and then they brought out grilled shrimp and then I brought this huge bowl of chicken Alfredo that I fucking loved. <laughs> and the tuna was great. The shrimp was great. And it, that started what has been a continual lesson for me. It's, it's often that I don't like something. I just don't like it when it's like shitty or not well made. So like I like whiskey. I don't like cheap, like shitty whiskey. 
I, I like wine. I don't like cheap, shitty wine. And it's not saying that some wine can't be cheap and delicious, but you know when it's just cheap and bad. That's the that's the thing. I mean, price does not equal quality every time. Right. However, there are cheap versions of things that are not a good reflection of the thing. Yeah, I, I used to think I hated mushrooms. Turns out I just hated mushrooms out of a fucking can. Yeah, see, I, I, I was the same way growing up. I didn't like mushrooms, but now... One of the best steaks I've ever had um, was in Charlotte. You know, my wife went out to my wife and I went to, out to dinner at a BLT steak, incredible okay. steakhouse. I got um, I got this amazing skirt steak with chimichurri, and it was wonderful. Yeah, but you know, one of the things I saw was a side dish, and this doesn't necessarily go with skirt steak and chimichurri, but I knew it'd be good. Was just a side of wild mushrooms. Out of this world, how good these were! You could have given me a plate of just these; I would have been very happy. You know. It's that thing. Quality does some, does sometimes equal. It you know it, it it doesn't have to be expensive, but I mean there is a difference in quality. One another episode I recorded with somebody, we talked about this this concept, and you know it, a lot of people I think adults hate vegetables because they had such a, a, a terrible version of it as a kid. Because it was, was boiled in water. <laughs> exactly. It's like, uh, did you put any salt on it? And I no no no, it's a little too spicy for me. You know, I thought oh, I when hated they say black pepper is spicy. I'm like, no, 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 you, no. You're, you're done. <laughs> Go home. Yeah. You need more get, black friends. Yeah, just get, let me just show you just a little bit here. You know, I, I, I thought I hated vegetables growing up. It just turns out I hated bland ones. You know, mm-hmm. I thought I hated lima beans is because I was told like, oh, they're probably, they're pretty good in ketchup. It's like, no, they're, <laughs> I'm sorry. No. Now Brussels sprouts, give them to me. Ooh, Broccoli, give I it to Brussels me. Sprouts. Still don't like lima beans. Still have not had lima beans, and I, I'm willing to try lima beans whenever it's someplace new. But that's I've yet to have a good experience with that. But other vegetables, roast them. Mm, I'm good. I am that's, set. And that's the thing. I'm not going to say this is true of all vegetables, but I feel like that most vegetables, if you think you hate it, instead of boiling it, just roast it. A little salt, a little pepper, a little garlic. That is literally all you need in most cases. Yeah. Put um, some onion in there. Bam. Oh yeah. One of the one of the my favorite things that my wife has ever made. She um she made this sheet pan of um, onion and peppers and cauliflower, all just in zucchini and squash, just with balsamic, and then she just and, and just roasted it, and then she put some grated parmesan on top. Ooh! And the thing was, she made she made like steak or chicken with it, and I was like, really, that was unnecessary. This the sheet pan would have been plenty. You know what she can also do. Uh, slice up a kielbasa, put that in with the vegetables to roast. Oof. That sounds amazing. And if anyone's wondering why I asked Ty to be a guest today, this this is why I knew that with Ty I was going to have a good food conversation. <laughs> Undoubtedly. I, I absolutely do love flavor. I love food. That's you know, and that's a, so. I don't know how, you know, I don't know your philosophy on food, but I, I really do feel like, you know, food should be, it should be an experience. You know, it's obvious there. I know there are people that think that food is just fuel. I will, I have never, will never understand that. I, I just can't wrap my head around the fact that I just do need you to know why they're like that. Because why? their parents kept giving them boiled vegetables that are just mushy <laughs> grossness. That must be it. I, there's just so much flavor out there to, to try. I just, I, and I will never understand an adult who just says, well, that just sounds gross. So I'm not going to try it. That's funny you should mention that. Uh, when I was single, uh, one of my like kind of like pre-date questions uh, was if you like sushi. 
And if they said yes, we kept going. If they said no, my follow-up was, have you had it before? Okay. And if they said no again, I cut it right there. Because it's like, if you if you have that preconceived notion, like if you're like, I don't like this, but I've never tried it, you're going to have preconceived notions in the relationship, in life. Like you're not willing to try something new to find out for yourself. See, and I think that that's a good point. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how you do with your son, but you know, for my daughter, I have a rule for her and she, she knows this and she'll repeat it back. You don't have to like it. You just have to try it. I don't expect you to like every food, but I at least want you to try foods. I had to bribe him to do that. Oh. It's ridiculous. It's like, look, I will give you a jelly bean if you will just try this. <laughs> and oftentimes what will happen is he'll take a bite. He's like, oh, this is gross. Eat his jelly bean. And then he'll actually eat what I gave him. Yeah. And it's, he just it's wanted a jelly bean. Yeah. But it's hard because like he used to be so good. Like he was one and a half and we would go to like a hibachi restaurant and he would eat the stir or like the hibachi grilled vegetables and meat. Uh, he would eat pita and hummus. Like he was such an adventurous eater. And then suddenly I was like, no, 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 I want chicken nuggets, but not even the good ones. I want the Walmart super processed chicken nuggets. Yeah. I still don't know what part of the chicken, the the, uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex is, but that's my daughter's favorite. And he hasn't gotten there yet. Luckily. I mean, Uh, we're going to go ahead right into loss. Uh, I made an Italian cream cake with him. He wanted to make it with me and we're having fun. Uh, we have these oranges, we're zesting them, we're juicing them, and it's this beautifully orange cream cake uh, with like this like light cream frosting on top. And he takes a bite, and he cries. He goes, no, I wanted to make Walmart cake. God. And I was gutted. I was like, how have I failed my son? And I'm, I'm worried that it's going to take time for him to realize, oh, no, there are things that are flavorful. I don't have to have just pasta and parmesan on top which at least i can do that and be fine but like he won't do mac and cheese anymore which is fine but applesauce yogurt and honey cheerios like he he has a very strict set of things he's willing to eat right off the bat and everything else is a battle it's i i wish i knew what it was i will give him i will say this give him credit that at least he understands that parmesan is the superior cheese that's something you know, Harper, she was the same way when she was uh, when she was a uh, smaller. She she would eat anything. We we took her to the International Festival at UNC Charlotte one year when she was about a year. She ate she ate lumpia. She ate Indian food. She ate Greek. She ate everything that we gave her. And then now it's her go to. She wants chicken. She wants ketchup. And it's it is a battle to get her to try other stuff. But, you know, this the other night it was you got to eat. You know, at least a few green beans. If you don't eat a few green beans, you're you're not getting any kind of dessert. You know, that's just that's my expectation. Yeah, I will say this though: give yourself credit. He may not. He may have won a Walmart cake. You know, but the thing that he you know he will have, he will have that memory of you taking the time to cook that with him or to bake that with him, and show him how to do it, and he'll come around. I sure hope so, because man, <laughs> I don't know if I could do with that hard break for so long. <laughs> Well, so speaking of heartbreak, um, yeah, you know, this this being our last meal every week, you know, when I have a guest on, I talk to them about loss and grief and how we've processed this loss and grief, um, how this ties into food to mills. And you had a really interesting you know, idea of who you wanted to talk about today. So when you think about loss, when it comes to this concept, who is the person that comes to mind? 
So this is going to be like a double header because there was a sense of loss with myself. And I feel like that also played a huge part in the loss of a really close friend of mine. Um, for for obvious reasons, I won't use the, the name, uh, but we'll just say this was Pinot Grigio. Pinot and Grigio. to start off, uh, my, my son was born in 2018, and I'm going to preface this that I love him to death. <laughs> he is adorable. He is amazing. Uh, he is hilarious. He's headstrong. He's very much like my wife. So, of course, I love him, but, of course, he drives me nuts. Uh, but in the first six months, he was colicky, and I was the one that stayed home. I, I had my own business at the time, and so I was able to take care of him at home. But that wrecked me. Uh, the fact that he was always crying and nothing I did helped. No. And after a lot of therapy, I've come to understand uh that i had never really validated myself and i always depended on the validation of others so not only was i feeling secluded because i was always stuck at home taking care of a baby that i of course loved but i wasn't really seeing my friends because i was stuck home so i wasn't getting the validation of them and of course with sleep deprivation my wife and i were also very like What's the word I'm looking for? We weren't chill with each other. I'll just say. Yeah. And so you knew me when I was basically friends with everyone. I was almost at every party. I just, people were like, yeah, oh my goodness, Ty's so hilarious and fun. And I was invited everywhere. And, and so I never really had to figure out how to validate myself because I always had it everywhere else. So realizing that I had no validation which stems from my fear of abandonment and my fear of not being good enough. Yeah. And, and so I was feeling very isolated before the world got hit with the pandemic and started feeling that themselves. So the pandemic didn't make me feel isolated. It just prolonged what I was already going through. And it was very much a struggle because I started becoming insecure. Like, I would try and reach out to people, but then I would feel like I was bothering them. Um, So for me, I was no longer the super fun guy. And here I am, like, can can someone please just be a friend? And I learned, again, through therapy, that I oftentimes would try and be more than just myself for other people. Like if they needed emotional help, I, I felt so many people move that I, I barely knew or like we weren't like that close, but I was one to help them move because it was a way of kind of just finding, oh, well, if I do this, then they won't leave me. And maybe if I take care of them, maybe they'll take care of me. And it was, it was kind of a very selfish way of trying to make friends and realizing that I really don't have as many friends as I thought I did. I just had people I was servicing. And they never even got to meet the real me because I was trying to be something more that they would not want to leave, which of course they just did. So there was this idea of I wasn't good enough. 
that I am still trying to work through. And once I pull away all the amenities, all the extra features that I put on to try and make myself likable, it was who am I? Because I had been reduced to the role of a parent. I didn't even feel like a dad. I was just a guy with a pet kid. And he was adorable and I love him, but I also love my dog a lot. And I, I used to joke that, like, you know, like I love my kid, but my dog's the one that sleeps in the bed with me. <laughs> and and now jokes on me, my kid's like, well, now I get to sleep in the bed too. And I'm like, well, you are cute. So you get to do the thing where you cling to the side of the bed. Yes. And then I get yeah. pushed off and then I have to sleep on the couch. And I'm like, <sighs> so I'm, I'm thinking about getting him like an actual bed. So that way, if he tries to, I'm like, well, I'm just going to get in your bed and I'll be fine. That's the thing. Invest in a good, com- a comfortable, large enough kid's bed. That's what I found. That way you've at least got a good backup. Yeah, that's see, I wish I would have had that advice. <laughs> you know, I, I, I want to say something before you go on, though. It This is why I was. And I told you, I think happy is the wrong way to phrase this. I, I, it's it's really it feels shitty to tell somebody I'm happy you're talking about feeling like you lost who you are as a person, you know, when you sharing. But that idea of becoming a new parent and all of a sudden your sense of self is completely turned on its head. I want to I want to give you the word you want to use instead of happy. Say grateful. Great. Like, I am so grateful that you are coming out about this because I, I have no qualms bringing this up because I feel like people need that honest conversation. Yeah. Like one of my favorite conversations I had when someone found out I was going to be a dad is like, oh, I miss being pregnant. And her best friend just looked at her like, you were such a bitch when you were pregnant. <laughs> like that's, that's the thing people don't tell you about. They don't tell you about the stress in the body. They yeah. don't they tell you the, the stress of not getting enough sleep that you may not like you're going to deal with a lot of guilt and shame that you're annoyed by a baby for being a baby. Yeah. Like there's, there's a lot that people don't talk about and they just want to make it. It's going to be the best thing that's ever happened to you. No, it's not. It's definitely going to grow your heart and your life's going to be better for it. But it's not the best thing that's happened. The best thing would have left me dealing with depression. And that's just me being honest. But my life has been forever changed and I'm grateful that it has because now I'm able to kind of get past who I used to be and be someone who is a lot more invested in my own self as well as those around me. Yeah. Like thinking about my relationship with my dad, uh, and I apologize for cutting you off. No. um, My dad wasn't the most – what's the word I'm looking for? He wasn't the one that I was playing with growing up. It was very much he was the caretaker. He would pick me up. He would take me to school. But when we got home, he was watching the news. And then we were left to play with each other. And I have an opportunity now to give my son what I wish I had, where I can play with him and make him feel validated because that's not what I had. And so it's given me a lot of vulnerable moments to explore which has allowed room for healing and growth. Yeah. So you feel like you're getting a chance to not, not make amends, not make it right, but you know, take to whatever cycle. Exactly. You know, and it, it, see, this is one of those things I think is, is as you get older, as you become a parent is difficult. 
you realize as you get older that your parents are real people. They're yeah. not they're not superheroes, they're not perfect, they're real people. That's difficult. To see your parents as imperfect human beings for the first time. And I think it happens at different points for some people. Some people it happens younger, some people it happens later. You know, I can still remember moments for both of my parents where I realized like, oh, this is they're just a person. They don't have all the answers. And that's hard. that was hard at the time. And it, it not hard in that it was emotional, you know, and in some cases maybe it was emotionally difficult. But I think in another case it was almost like it broke my brain. You know, but realizing that they're real people and that they made mistakes, you know. I honestly think it's it's kinda like you go through the stages of grief. Yeah. Cause it's like I so to the preface, uh, my parents got divorced when I was four, but kept it hush. Hmm. So literally the conversation, I was like, hey, dad, where's mom? She's not here. Oh, when's she coming back? She's not. And that was the fucking conversation. So that was the only reference point you had for that. Right. So, of course, no wonder I then internalized, like, did I do something wrong? And it was presented that my mom had left me. And, and so it was very much, I was blind to my, my father's flaws. I mean, he is human, but he was the one that stayed. So I looked past that. And, and looking back, I realized that, I mean, he was a very religious person. And oftentimes, like he had the, the rule of, hey, you're going to be in, in Boy Scouts. And if you get your Eagle Merit Badge, which is the highest rank you can get, uh, you can get your driver's license. And I was like, okay, but driving wasn't a big interest for me. And when he realized that that wasn't a motivator, he then tried to make it, okay, well, now you can't do theater until you get your Eagle Merit Badge. And I was like, well, joke's on you. I took it as a class, so now I have to. <laughs> and then he goes, fine, no marching band. And I was like, ah, fuck. <laughs> you got me. He got me. And looking back, there was that instance, and there was also where like, I, I was really into sci-fi and fantasy books. But he was very much of, well, you can do that, but you have to read these churchy fantasy books first. Yeah. And, and looking back, what it was is I felt like he wanted me to push down what I wanted to do so that I could be the son he wished I really was. So he had a preconceived notion when he found out, okay, I'm having a son. I have this expectation, but you're not that expectation. You're your own person. And so he is, was it, he was trying to make you in that mold. I think it was a little more nuanced because like, I'm sure he would have appreciated if I was more into sports, but it was more so, oh, hey, this is a very conservative, like strict Christian religion. And, and I want my son to be just as hardcore into this religion as I am. And so, like, look, you can have your passions. You can have what brings you joy. But first, you got to do what I feel like is going to make you this super religious person as well. So it's like he wanted, he wanted someone else besides me. And that wasn't his intention, but that's how I had conceived it, is that I was not good enough. I had to do something else for him to like me. And I did it because I was afraid if I didn't, maybe he would leave me too. And then come to find out, like years later, like I was 21 when I finally asked my mom, I was like, what happened? And learning the whole thing, I was like, oh my goodness, 
there was so much bullshit. And I dealt with a lot of anger. Uh, I don't think I ever dealt with denial because once once it was there and I saw, I was like, can't deny this. No, this is what it was. Yeah. Uh, but then you deal with grief and you realize that you can never, I shouldn't say never, it is going to be a lot before you can have that close relationship again because now there's a lack of distrust. And seeing that's that that's that's what makes that that relationship with your parents so difficult i think because you know i, I talk about you know, realizing that they're human and you you put them on this pedestal when you see the flaw when you you know especially if it's something like that where it impacts the trust you know it is hard to build that back I, i'm i'm going through something now with my own father you know trying to get back to some sense of normalcy you know we we had and I won't go into everything, you know, but our, our relationship has been impacted the last couple of years. You know, there, there was very severe differences that we both held. And, and we're, I think one of the things that, that makes it difficult is that we're more alike than I probably would like to admit that we are in terms of us being kind of bullheaded. Um, Does he also have to shave his head? <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> no, but it's, you know, it's so when we both think we're right, we're right. You know, I, um, I, I view myself as an open-minded person and I dig, I think I dig my heels in on being an open-minded person. And so that, you know, if you're, if you're gonna, if, you know, if, if I feel like you're being closed-minded, if I feel like you're, you know, you're wrong about something and I'm, I'm probably going in circles here, I, I, I view that as a flaw and I don't want you to, I don't necessarily need you to change your mind. I would like for you to, but I want you to see where I'm coming from. And I want you to just try to understand. And if I don't feel like I'm getting that, you know, that's a flaw to me, you know, but you know, this is where I dig is my heels on. Because you're sitting there saying, I want to be heard. I feel like you're missing something. So please hear me. And you feel like he's not, you're having a basic need of being heard, being denied. And I'm not trying to throw your dad under the bus. I'm sure he's of a course. lovely guy, but I mean, you're you're dealing with a generation that was like you have to do this because it has to get done yeah. and we're now in a generation of i want you to understand why this has to get done or i want you to understand so that you can be empowered to make that choice yourself instead of just listening to commands see in that generation gap that you thought I, I know there's a lot of talk about like old boomer versus millennial versus Z, generation z generation generation x and all this and there are generational differences but i i, I really think that there is something there about that you know that it, it feels like there is so much pressure put on that, but it really does feel like this generation, you know, or we, maybe it's not just in this generation. I feel like there are plenty of boomers and Gen Xers who are more open-minded about this too. But I feel like we're at a point in society where you're right. We are trying to, you know, people are, are trying to be heard. They're trying to be more open. And I love that fact. You know, I, I think about my own daughter and I don't know how you feel about, you know, your son. I would imagine it's probably similar based on this conversation, but you know, wanting them to, you know, feel like a, they're seen and heard as a person, you know, that it's not just, I told you to do a thing, go do the thing. You know, for me, a big thing that I've, I've tried to be very mindful of, I will apologize to my daughter. If, if I feel like I lost my temper or if I feel like I was short with her when I shouldn't have been, I will apologize to her. That was a, that was a weird thing in the dynamic trying to be more mindful of that because i i want her to know as a person you know you have autonomy you know you you are just as entitled to respect as any adult you know 
but it's not always easy to express that to a to a five year old. It, it's very hard when you're like, look, I love you, but you're giving me some bullshit. And like, well, here's some more. <laughs> and it's like, look, I, I, I love you, but you can't just eat ice cream for dinner. Yeah, it's, it's like you're not trying to like change their lives. You're like, look, like in order for you to not die on me, I need you to eat something more and I'll let you pick what you want or I have these options for you to choose from. And, and it's hard. I I dealt with a lot of shame because I kept losing my cool with my son because he was crying all the time and nothing I did helped. And it was one of those things that I had to struggle with was if, if nothing I do is going to help, why should I even try? And that is a terrible thing. And, and I'm grateful that my wife was able to pick up a lot of slack. And I'm grateful that she would call me out and that I was able to get past that rather quickly. Um, but it's still hard because you're trying to be understanding and see them, but they're still feeling like you're not seeing them, but only because they're not getting what they want. Yeah. And it's, it's like, ah, you have it so good, but you don't realize it. So now, like, do I have to be my dad and scar you for life for you to realize how good you had it? And that's that's the thing right there. That, By the way, listeners, that is a joke. Please do not scar your kids. Yeah, I should probably have mentioned that, you know, Ty might might express some loss through uh, through humor. That's that's normal. That's that's yeah. that's normal behavior. Uh, what did we what did I say to you before we started recording? There's not necessarily. I guess I should say this. I'm not qualified to say this. This is just my opinion based <laughs> based on 35 years of life. I don't think there's necessarily a wrong way to process grief. I think there are healthy and unhealthy ways to do it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's wrong to tell somebody that your your immediate reaction on how you process is incorrect. It's it's like with feelings. You know, I my wife and I talked about this before. This idea of you can't help how you feel. You're not wrong for feeling a thing, how you respond to it, how you react to it, how you act upon it. That can be right or wrong, but feeling a certain way, you know, you should never, you shouldn't feel guilty for how you feel. You have zero control over that, but it's how you respond to it. Exactly. You know, um, I kind of want, I want to circle back a little bit because you, you know, this started with, you know, you, you feel like you lost who you were when you became a parent. Um, Apparently, that's my one bad dad pun of the episode. <laughs> but no, it, I'm glad you I'm glad you bring this up. And this is why I was saying I'm grateful is the word that we chose. I'm grateful that you wanted to discuss this because I feel like this isn't something that is discussed a lot. You know, when my wife was pregnant, we were both over the moon. We were excited. Um, I, I love being a dad and it. You know, I, I see my kids sometimes. I'm just like, holy shit, I just want to explode because of how awesome you are. But it's hard. It, it's it's hard now. It's It was even harder then. One of the, the best piece of advice anybody gave me when my wife was pregnant, and I've tried to share this with other friends and people I knew and just about anybody who will hear me out whenever they, I find out they're pregnant, is... The first six months, everybody tells you how amazing it is. And, you know, people are telling you how awesome it is that you're going to have a kid. And yeah, that's all well and true. The first six months are really hard. Yeah. What, you know, one of my old, um, one of my old uh, general managers told me this, the first six months are really hard and that's normal. I was so thankful so many times after my daughter was born to have heard that because we went through the colic thing too. We went through the trouble sleeping, and I cannot tell you how many times 
I got frustrated thinking about she will never sleep and we will never sleep again. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And I don't know if I can even do this, if I'm even capable of doing this. And that was just me. And I know my wife was, had, had things to process too, because, you know, she's a new parent too. You know, if I had not had that, I don't know what the hell I would have done. I'm going to go ahead and say this. And I want to say this with all the love I can. Uh, you never told me that at all. <laughs> but I, I got something very similar. Uh, my advice was it never gets easier. It just gets different. Yeah, that's fair. And some difference going to be a lot better to adjust to. So like now my kid is, is four and he wants to play and he's goofy. Like it's, I have a lot of fun, but he's also super headstrong. And it's like, hey, you need to sleep in your bed. No, no. I want to sleep in your bed. It's my bed now. And it's like, uh, I have the receipts, boo. <laughs> and it's like, I am worried that I might have spoiled him. Yeah. I should say this since I'm married. I'm afraid we have spoiled him. Yeah, what's mine um, is yours. What's yours is mine. So share exactly. that. Um, but like, I was like, hey. We just, we love you and you bring us joy. So we want to, hey, on a Friday afternoon after daycare, let's go get ice cream. Yeah. Let's go, let's go hang out. But now it's like, if he hears no, just immediately melts down. Doesn't, doesn't understand that, doesn't understand patience and, and doesn't understand uh, no. He goes, no, that's a bad word. Like, shit is a bad word. No is something you need to hear sometimes. Oh my goodness. Okay. Um, so I got to share this just, just as a way for the listeners to get a good laugh. Uh, out of the blue, my child just went up and say, what the fuck? <laughs> and we're like, uh, excuse me? And he's just smiling ear to ear. He's like, what the fuck? And I'm like, okay, you can't, you can't say that, dude. And so uh, you could say, what in the world or what the heck? And so he'll be like, can I say what in the world? I'm like, yeah, you could say that. He goes, okay. So I could say what in the world, but not what the fuck. But you're still saying it. He's going to be, I mean, with that logic, though, he could be a lawyer. He could. I I feel like he could very well be a lawyer. That would. I did not say what the fuck. I said, can I say what the fuck? Or I said that I was not going to say what the fuck. I did not say what the fuck. I was just explaining by your logic that I cannot say what the fuck without actually saying what the fuck. That's still saying it. Um. I want to write a children's book about this. Please tell me it's just called What the Fuck. We don't say What the Fuck. Oh, God. I, I, <laughs> I would. So when my, when my wife was pregnant, we were looking at, uh, you know, items for the, for, the, for the nursery. And, you know, I, th- there's, a, there's a, a trope from the 90s. From t- you know, you, you watched a lot of you know, 90s television recently. I think you'll remember this one. There's a trope of, you know, men being like, oh, I'm going to get the most garish, ridiculous, like home decor items that I possibly like, oh, the St. Pauli girl sign, you know, and yeah, the worst possible uh, taste in, you know, home decorating. So in, in my defense, I, I, I just say that to say, I don't think this falls into that category necessarily. But I could see why she would have thought that. So I wanted to get her for her nursery, a, a framed picture of Kurt Vonnegut, one of my favorite okay. authors, mm-hmm. and a quote of his um, that basically amounts to, you know, we're here on this earth to fart around. 
Um, you know, there's only one thing I can tell you, babies, you've got to be kind, goddammit. And <laughs> to me, I'm like, this is perfect. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking this is perfect. I, I want my daughter to grow up knowing that she should be kind. Oh. To me, that's the message. I think what my wife saw was I don't want our, our daughter to sleep under the words goddammit, which f- fair. That's it's not not fair. It was not the message that I was trying to to push forward though. It doesn't matter what your intention is, just matters how it comes across. This is fair. <laughs> let, so let me ask let me ask the food part of this. Um, okay. So, you know, still talking about yourself, you know, do you, we'll get to the food part in a moment. Do do you feel like you're you're coming more into back into who you were do you feel like you're redefining your sense of self Uh, i'm still figuring it out because uh, on one end uh one of the things i I learned about myself was my attachment style that i was the anxious occupied type archetype in which case i was always anxious about people leaving but i was so preoccupied and trying to take care of other people's needs that i never took care of my own so that was a very recent revelation, revelation for me. Um, that's so old I, granddad, by the way. Yes, that's the old granddad talking. Uh, so I, I haven't quite figured out how to, one, validate myself. And then two, I'm, I'm doing better, but I'm still having to work hard at, let me just be in this friendship because we're friends, not because I'm scared they'll leave. Because that that had opened my eyes to realize that I had a lot of people I considered as friends that we weren't really friends. I mean, it, it's hard to say, but it's like I was in that relationship because they gave me validation that they weren't going to leave. But there was nothing really else there. Yeah. And that's not the most healthy thing to have. So uh, this kind of ties back to uh, that really close friend, uh, Pino Grigio, that I was talking about. Yeah. And, and this person, like we had been friends for eight, nine years. Uh, I was in their wedding. They were in my wedding. And we were very close. And I was there for them while they were going through divorce. I was there for them uh, through a lot of things. And... Fairly recently, a couple months ago, they asked for space because they were grieving um, a relationship that had ended. And that was hard for me to take because it's like, well, aren't friends supposed to be there for you to cope and to deal with this? Yeah. Uh, like I used to be the friend that they would come see. But this was also when I was struggle with my own identity and when i was also struggling with my own feelings of self-worth uh so it was definitely a very bad time um but i had to honestly look back and realize ever since like we were friends i was the one making the effort to stay in contact i was always the one to reach out first uh and there might be some exceptions i'll throw that in there um but even when I was feeling secluded, they weren't the ones reaching out to check on me. And it got to a point where it's like, hey, I I want us to, like, I feel like we've been disconnected and I want to be able to reconnect. And, and they were like, well, I miss you. But then nothing. 
no no effort to try and connect no effort to try and talk and and that was really hard for me because this was one of the closest people that i've been super open and vulnerable with and this was something i was terrified is that i would be myself and it would not be enough yeah so like like my wife had said they abandoned the person with abandonment issues and that was really hard. There were many times that I've grieved and cried. And that's a new thing for me. I'm, I'm now crying. I don't know if you've been crying all this time, but this is a very new establishment for me, or not establishment, a new uh, situation for me. And it sucks because on one end, I feel like they still care, but I didn't know if they just couldn't take it, maybe because my, my attachment style says that when I get insecure, I tend to try harder, which can oftentimes push people away. And that may have been what happened that in my need for more support, I ended up asking for much more than they were willing to give, which I mean, when you say it like that, it's kind of shitty anyway. Um, but this was a person I thought would be in my life. For the rest of my life this was a person i considered family yeah and that sucked like it, it super sucked to look back and realize i had been the one making the effort did was there something other like was there something shiny like oh i'm gonna focus on this now like was my isolating during my depression the start like i i tried to find all these reasons why it was my fault but it had to come down to is that no matter my actions, I tried to stay connected. I did make an effort. And if that was enough for them, and if they haven't shown to make the effort, how am I to think that I mean something to them? Yeah. So it's, it was something that made me isolate even more because I felt like, well, if this is happening to this person, if I'm bothering this person, who else am I bothering? And it's, it's taken a lot. Uh, actually just today I had another close friend who lives in Mexico of all places. We've been friends for like 11, 12 years and kind of like we were like pen pals and she was like, Hey, um, you got to start with what you're grateful for. Because, yeah, this sucks, but you now are able to realize what friends are still there for you. And you're able to realize who still thinks that you are enough. And that hit, because like today I was dealing with a depressive moment where I'd, I'm sitting there just thinking, like, if, if Pino Grigio had reached out to me, what would I say? Oh. And I was struggling with that. And then here comes my friend from Mexico. I was like, you just got to put one foot in front of the other and start with gratitude, which is why I thought about grateful when we were trying to think of the word for you to use. And I was like, man, I'm, I'm grateful to my wife. I am grateful for my kid. Still won't be able to say he's the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's to my wife. Um, but it's allowed me to focus on what I still have. And it's allowed me to kind of move on in a way to where I'm not isolating myself. 
if that makes sense. It, no, it does to me. And one thing I'll say, so the, the friend of yours in Mexico, the fact that you have a friend who who sees their place and understands and appreciates that they can be that direct with you. And it, it doesn't even sound like it was in the, I'm going to give you tough love and be a hard ass. It, it sounds like it was really, I'm going to tell you the thing you need to hear right now, which probably isn't easy. It's not. That, this one started, I was, I was making a joke, of course, uh, where I was like, you know, I feel like Louisa, where I, I feel like I'm not of service. If I, I'm, I'm worthless, if I can't be of service. And she goes, well, I mean, if people are making you feel that way, they don't need to be in your life. Yeah. And, and I was like, well, to be fair, it's my own fears that I'm pushing on other people. So it could very well be that I just put that on them and it never belonged there to begin with. But then that's when she was like, regardless, you have to focus on what you're grateful for. Because now you can see. Now you can understand. Now you can realize why you were acting the way you were. Why was I always trying to be super funny? Well, I mean, on one end, I like to be funny. But on the other, if I made them laugh, I thought they wouldn't leave. And and so that's kind of why I, I stopped doing stand-up was because stand-up used to be like therapy for me. Yeah. But now that I'm actually going through therapy and talking about it, going on stage isn't as therapeutic. I still love writing. And I still love telling jokes, but I don't have that drive to get on stage. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to get on stage so I can talk about my issues. It's not like, oh, well, this is hella funny. And I and, and maybe, maybe one day you and I will get on and we'll do uh, the psychological comedy tour. I don't know. <laughs> but it's one of those things where when you are, I say isolating, and in some ways I was, but in others it was just I was focusing inward. I was focusing on my my grief, my loss, and my pain without really understanding that I still had a lot of joy and hope and happiness around me. Yeah. You know, it's um I I like that you mentioned that, you know, stand up was therapy for you. I, I think this is the first time I've mentioned on this podcast that I I did stand up a long time ago. Um you know, and stand. You know, to me, and it, to me, it's very similar. Stand up was, it was something I loved doing. It was something I always wanted to do. But stand up is very therapeutic, and I think you'd hear that from a lot of comics that, you know, it can be a great way to process a lot of things. You know, yeah. I, I process the, you know, one of the biggest things in my life at the time that I ever processed, you know, up until a certain point that I ever processed was, you know, a girlfriend when I was younger cheating on me, and stand up was incredible. You know, I was at an age I never would have considered therapy, but going up and telling jokes about it, totally. This is just an extra 10 minutes in my set. That's fine. It helped me process a lot. I, I have a theory on that, actually. I I feel like comedy and humor allows us to dissociate from the pain enough for us to be able to carp- uh, compartmentalize it in a way that is less painful. See, how, see it for how ridiculous it is. Yeah. And so like on one hand, it's very helpful for getting over things. On the other, if we're still not allowing ourselves to feel those emotions, then we're just bearing those emotions. So it's, it's a very thin line that we got to, that if you're doing comedy, you, you got, if you're doing comedy for therapy, that's the line you got to make sure not to, not to blur too much. 
I think it's, that's a, I think that's a really good observation. I mean, it, it, um, it was great for a lot of things, but yeah, it, you do run the risk of not actually allowing yourself to, to grieve or to, you know, really fully process something. I think there is, I think there is benefit to, you know, I'm going to find the humor in something. I can find the humor in this terrible thing that happened to me. But there is a line between that and, hey, I'm just going to completely, that wasn't me, that was somebody else, and here's how it's funny, and I'm just going to bottle that up and push that way, way down. You know, there, there's definitely... you're going to have that one, one bite of menthol and just suddenly... <laughs> Mentos, sorry, Mentos, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, well, if you smoke, you know, menthols, that's fine too. Well, no, I was thinking about, like, when you're pushing it down, you're you're creating that pressure of carbonation. If you add Mentos, that's, yeah. okay. Mentos no, I was going for a dumb joke. I, in all fairness, again, I... Uh, you the joke, I the science. <laughs> yeah, I, um... Again, I'm processing here. <laughs> again, that was old granddad for Ty, Henry McKenna, 10-year for myself. Um, if anybody is drinking along at home. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm... Go ahead. I was going to say, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're sharing, though, that, you know, therapy was something you used. And I, I've mentioned before, I will say again, I have done therapy. I would recommend therapy to anyone. Just like, you know, you would go to the eye doctor, the dentist, the, the doctor every year. You know, therapy, if, if for no other reason than just regular maintenance is, is, I think, is good. I think is important. Oh, absolutely. But, for, you know, for just actually processing things, you know, it, it is it is so important I'm I'm really glad we are at a point in society where we have not completely but there has been work done to destigmatize it. You know, yeah. especially for especially for men. And and I, I I will say this, I am not an MRA. I am not a men's right advocate. I'm not one of these that, you know, thinks that men are, you know, the victims of all this stuff in society. I I, I always want to preface that, but I do think men historically are not comfortable talking about our emotions. You know, mo a lot of men would not be comfortable to sit down and have the conversation that we're having right now. And so that's the kudos to you that you're willing to do that, you know, but I do like the fact that, you know, it is, there is work being done to destigmatize it for men that, Hey, it's okay to go talk to somebody about how you feel. You don't just have to drink through it. You don't have to just say like, I'm fine. And then just thousand yards stare in the distance and fight back that tear. And I don't want to minimize what you just said. It is absolutely essential for people to understand that they can have a safe space to explore how they feel. Yeah. What I think needs further pushing, though, is is understanding why you feel that. Because I feel like, like, oh, I'm having these hard feelings. Well, where are those feelings coming from? Because it was through that exploration that I realized I had trauma of abandonment and self-worth. And if I didn't understand those were my traumatic events and understanding how that could be triggering and what happens to me when I am triggered, I would just keep feeling that over and over and over again. So by all means, that is absolutely the first step is exploring how you feel, but understanding why is going to be leaps and bounds of healing. I think that's, that's a really good, that's, that's a good reminder. You know, it, it is it is one thing to diagnose the problem. You know, I, I think about my work life and I think about the, the root cause analysis kind of thing, work that we do of, you know, find out what the problem is first, but then finding out why the problem is happening. If you if you don't know why something is broken, you cannot fix it. Yeah. 
So um, thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. <laughs> Go to BetterHelp, use uh, code RLASMIL. It will not work. Um, but if enough people type it in, hey, maybe they'll be curious. So please show. <laughs> now, I know f- food is a big uh, part of your podcast. And, yeah. and so I'd be remiss if I didn't share how food was a big part of, of my life with Pinot Grigio. Yeah, uh, I'd love they to were, hear this. They were my foodie friend. They loved cooking just as much as I did. And oftentimes when we hang out, maybe we'll go out and get food or drinks. But for the most part, we stayed in and we cooked together. We made fresh pasta together. Uh, the last time I actually saw Pinot Grigio... Uh, I went to their house and we made tortellini, homemade tortellini, and it was amazing. And, and it was a time where we could just cook and focus and then just enjoy and be present, uh, play music. Like it was, it was very much a place I had felt vulnerable because cooking was very vulnerable for me. For me, cooking, like eating is fantastic, but being able to cook something that someone then enjoys, I made something that brought them joy. And in a sense, it gave me validation. It was a form of validation for me to make something and it'd be delicious and they'd find it delicious. But then to make something with someone, to do it together and it'd be delicious together, that was bonding to me. That, like I I recommend for, for couples, if you want an intimate date, make pasta together. It's super easy, one. But it can be super delicious and you can work as a team or you can just do it, do your own batch separately, but do it together. And that way you can see who's better, which is always going to be. <laughs> one but it's still it's it's a very bonding experience for the person who has to either relinquish control to invite someone in to be a part of what they have joy in. Or. It's opening a door for exploring how you guys interact with each other. So for you and your wife, make some pasta, man. Just flour and eggs. Uh, so we need to try the fresh pasta. I will say one of the, I think one of the best, uh, I'm going to call it a day date we've had, we've ever had. Uh, a few months ago, actually, my, my daughter was staying with my mother-in-law and we just decided like, oh, we don't know what we want for lunch. Well, let's go, let's go. I just got her a charcuterie board for Valentine's Day. So we figured, what the hell? Let's, let's put together a charcuterie board. While we're at it, let's go ahead and get some steaks and we'll make some, some Brussels sprouts, you know? So we ended up on a whim. We went to Whole Foods. We spent $80 on charcuterie stuff. I, 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 I love so much, so much that I've married a woman who can spend 20 minutes looking at a cheese section with me, trying to find the right cheeses that we want and the right grapes and the right meats. I mean, my so, birthday is coming up, man. <laughs> so we, we went home and we, we put together the charcuterie board together. And it's like you said, we were both in the kitchen together, working on some of the same stuff. I was kind of for sous chef because she's a much better cook than I am. But cooking a really nice lunch together and putting together the charcuterie board. And it's just, it was so much fun. And it, it's it's so cool to think that, okay, you've got something that with another person you've, you've worked together towards a common goal and you've put this together. I'd love to what you said about food being a vulnerable thing. You know, I, I cannot agree with that more because I mean, there, there's something so vulnerable, especially when you cook for someone, 
I have put effort into this. I made this not just hoping that it nourishes your body. Of course, I want that to happen. But when you cook something hoping that you enjoy it, that you eat it and your first reaction is just pleasure and that, oh, this is good. I find this just satisfying and satiating and hoping that they like it. You know, there is something so vulnerable about that. Uh, I want to share this story. Uh, This is about me and my wife. And it may have been Valentine's Day. It it may have been, I don't don't know what the occasion was, Uh, but went to a steakhouse. And we loved getting the filet mignon, just something super tender and delicious. And and so my wife and I are eating and I am, I'm loving it. It is so tender and so supple. And, and my wife is not enjoying hers as much. And, and I, I have to come clean. Again, I, I love my wife. I absolutely adore her. <laughs> but I've always been the more adventurous and the more like food-oriented person. I was the foodie. And so I was asking her like, what was going on. She goes, you know, it's not as tender as last time. And I already eaten half of my steak. <laughs> and, and so... I tried hers and it was tougher. They didn't let the steak rest enough. And so I took her steak and I gave her the rest of mine. And she took a bite of mine and she started crying. Because not only was that steak so damn good, but just the fact that I was willing to sacrifice what I was enjoying, what I had just loved and was just feeling all these warm fuzzies with, I was willing to give her mine. So that she could experience that too. Like sharing delicious food is is a very intimate thing to me. I, and it was for her. And I was like, I've married the right person. <laughs> we've, been, we've been together for like 10 years. This is when I know we, we were together for the right reasons. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you, when you love someone enough to give them your steak, and when they love you enough to appreciate that for the act that it is, that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing, man. So um, let me ask you this. So you, you mentioned, uh, I'll come back to Pinot Grigio in a moment, but I, okay. I want to ask you this. You know, you you talked about the, you know, the, the food that you would make with them. You know, what kind of food have you always enjoyed cooking? You know, I know that you love to cook. I know that you, you love to make food. What what kind of food, what's been your favorite food that you've enjoyed cooking? Is there anything that maybe you haven't, you haven't cooked since, you know, you feel like you lost yourself? And is, is that any of that coming back now? So cooking has been a way for me to kind of get myself back uh i used to make a lot of desserts and and strangely enough trying to find myself did not focus on desserts it focused on the savory side uh i i love cooking a very wider range like it's it's very much a global cuisine for me uh i can go from italian and making fresh pasta to indian to thai korean japanese chinese uh just like southeastern asian uh to mexican to um shoot brazilian even they have really great cuisine i love exploring and so i never want to get stuck in one spot and that's that's why i try to like stay with like oh this is my favorite because they all have something that i love and adore and appreciate and what that typically means is that i am able to make a fusion so like i've done like a Indian butter chicken, chicken makhani alfredo. Or 
I'm going to you to say that one more time because that I like the words I just heard. Chicken Mockney or Butter Chicken Alfredo. You can find that recipe on our website. I will <laughs> get this from Ty because everything about what I just heard sounds amazing. So what's really cool, uh, for those who are really into the food side, uh, there is a uh, beautiful show on Netflix uh, called Ugly Delicious. And it's hosted by Chef David Chang. And I, I'd always heard that tomato was originally from America. But I never made the correlation that Italy never cooked with tomatoes until after America was colonized. India didn't have tomatoes until the East India Trading Company. Cuisine is very much a fusion of everything before it. And so to me, I, I would probably say fusion might be my favorite thing to cook. And just understanding where it's coming from allows me to then appreciate what it's bringing already, but then how it also correlates. So the fact that tomato is American, but has now been taken in by Italian and Indian cuisine, uh, even Chinese cuisine has a lot of tomatoes, believe it or not. Uh, but I'm able to then, like, well, tomato is what's creating them together. And that's what led to that chicken makni alfredo. Uh, I... <laughs> I'm I'm sorry for listeners. I'm sorry. My my mind is blown right now because I you just drooled like it literally just stripped in the camera. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I I love Indian food so much. I love butter chicken, and just this idea of this butter chicken alfredo sounds amazing. But it, you know, it's you're you're right though. The the first time I heard, okay, you know, tomatoes. That's a new world food. When you think tomatoes, you you think Italian food. You know that that's exactly yeah. where my mind goes. But you're, you're right. It, it's this thing that, you know, food is an ever evolving thing. I mean, especially now the, the world is so open, you know, you, you have all kinds of fusion. And I, so I can appreciate why you would say that, you know, fusion is your favorite style of food. You know, it just, it is so cool to think about how, you know, just this, these different ideas of how these different things can pair up so well that you may not expect. A recipe I do want to figure out and make, um, there is a Chinese soup dumpling called Xiaolong Bao, and it is phenomenal. Uh, but there uh, was a chef who took an Italian dish, uh, tortellini in brodo, which is just tortellini in a broth, and did that in a Xiaolong Bao, or did the Xiaolong Bao in a tortellini. So in the tortellini is the gelatinized broth, so when it's cooked, it just becomes broth. Oh, God. And, and then, oh. And then he has like this like kind of like butter cheese sauce that, that goes in and oh, it looks amazing. And I want to figure that out because it, uh, oh, oh. <laughs> and it, it's interesting because uh, China and Italy are both known for their dumplings. So to do a fusion of that makes sense. It really does. Oh my God. This, this is the restaurant I want. Chitalian yeah. food. I want Chitalian food. It's, it's in California. Silver Lakes, I think that's where it's at. But yeah, definitely want to learn how to make it. Yeah, that that sounds phenomenal. Um, so I, I told you I was going to come back to Pinot Grigio. Um, I think we're we're we'll we'll come back here um, to kind of wrap us up. But you know, you, you talked about the food that you would make together. You know, I, I know that relationship. It you know, I, I won't say done. I I hope that it's in a in a state of pause. I because I will say this. 
and this is, and I think, you know, listeners are learning. I am ever the optimist. I just choose to live that way. I choose to believe that way. If you were to make another meal with Pinot Grigio, what would that meal be? What would you, what would you say to them? That's, that's a tough question for me to answer. Because in order for me to get there, there's going to need to be a lot of healing. Um, yeah. Just to preface, uh, one of the things uh, this friend had told me that they loved about me is that no matter how long it's been, when we get back together, it, it, we pick up right back where we left off. Yeah. But that's no longer going to be the case. So it might be a bit before I can feel safe enough to be that vulnerable again um i mean we've made we've made a lot of things between making pasta to making a gimbap which is a, basically a korean version of sushi um i mean we we loved cooking together so i mean as far as what i love it wouldn't even matter what the food was just as long as we got to connect um but to feel safe enough to connect to a person that I felt unseen and ignored and abandoned is, is going to take some time. So I can't, I can't honestly say, Oh, well, this is the recipe I'd love to make. Uh, I would love to reconnect, but I understand that we can't just go back to where we were. Yeah. And you know, and I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I will say this, you know, I I don't think there's ever right words or right thing to say, you know, when it comes to loss. What I will say, though, is I know, Ty, who you are as a person. I know that, you know, life can be surprising. I know, too, that I've, I've been on the other side of it as a friend who, you know, lost connection with someone because of my own faults and this is where I feel guilty. Cause I, I think about, you know, I, I had a friend from high school and that friendship faded mainly because I stopped reaching out and it's something I feel guilty about every time I think about that person. Question and I, for you. Yeah. And and I, I'm I'm saying this because we are friends and I feel like I can't challenge you. Uh did they try and stay in contact and you just didn't follow through? Or is it one of the things that neither of you tried to connect and it just fell to the wayside? No, it wasn't that. You know, there so, there are friend there are friendships that fade just because you both, you know, you, you grow up you, you hear this that you know you're gonna have friends that you grow apart from. And okay. This so, was, go ahead. This was early twenties. I was probably twenty one, twenty two. Whenever we stopped talking, they were in another state. I was in another state. Um, honestly, our you know what I remember was they were going through a lot, but I was too, and I felt. I don't know. I I I didn't feel equipped to help them, and I felt guilty so many times. And this has been more than a decade. 
And it's one of those things, like, especially you you talking to me now, I feel like an asshole. And I feel like I want to reach out. I mean, out to you Rupert. should. I'm just kidding. No, I, I I don't think that's a joke. I think I, I, I do feel like an asshole. I feel at minimum I owe this person an apology. If I can challenge you, because speaking as someone from the other side, because I feel yeah. like I, I kind of resonate with your friend. If you would reach out. And whether that is just to go straight up, hey, this has been weighing on me all this time. And I just want to go ahead and apologize. I hope you've been well. I would love to reconnect. But I also recognize that I was not there for you when you needed me. And I'm so sorry. That would have meant the world to me. That would have been immediately... Because on a couple things. On one end, it would validate that they didn't stop caring about me. They had their own issue and they shut out they they self-isolated which i've experienced i understand and it lets me know that they always cared and i'd merely want to restart that rekindle that and be like i would love to have you back that that even though you weren't there for me then maybe you could be there for me now so that's that's my challenge man like i i've done what i can to try and reach out to this friend with no avail but if that friend reached out to me hands down i'd I'd want that friendship back that meant that much to me and now you're gonna make me cry so fuck you (laughs) thank you for giving a little bit of levity there i um i appreciate you challenging me on that because i can't tell you how many times in the last decade this friend has popped into my head and i felt like a i felt like a terrible person and Yeah, there. So many times I've 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 just wanted to reach out and just say I'm sorry, and so do it. <laughs> I I will, I will send that friend a message and apologize. I I have, and the the thing is, I I can't expect anything. You if can. they respond, and if they responded back with "Go fuck yourself," fair enough. Yeah. But then at least you know you've made an effort and it won't excuse what you've done, but it would allow you to move on. Like, well, I can now be a better person. I finally closed that because right now it's just left open there. There's no answer like that's That's what's hurtful for me is that I have no answer. And, and while I was able to reach out, I'll say, hey, I hope you're well. I miss you. And they're like, well, I miss you, too. And then I try to make plans to like, hey, can we just talk on the phone? Can we just connect? And then I got ghosted, basically. I at least know that they don't hate me. I didn't do something wrong. They just, for some reason, can't be the friend that I need right now. Yeah. And that's allowed me to be like, well, okay. Well, now I can stop focusing on my grief of loss. And I can start looking with gratitude at the people who are still in my life and make that effort. So, speaking as someone who's felt or gone through something similar with your friend, even if it's, hey, go fuck yourself, it's going to be a close of a chapter. It's going to give you that closure, and whether that it's a rekindle, which most likely will be the case, it's going to make you a better person in the long run. And it'll make it a little less... It'll make the shaved head a little less scary. (laughs) (laughs) Ty, I appreciate that. I appreciate you being on today too. 
Um, and I appreciate you for having me on, man. Like I, I'm one of the things I've, I've been open about is that if my pain can help someone else navigate it, I will have felt it was valid that this yeah. hard journey meant something more than just for myself. And maybe that's just a validation I'm seeking externally as I'm trying to figure out how to validate myself. But I still hope that I can help someone, even if it doesn't mean it's helping me feel validated. And I, I don't, I don't think that's just as simple as, you know, you needing validation. I think that's a genuine want and hope. I mean, that was my, that was the whole reason I wanted to do this too. I mean, it, but you have this sense of, we don't talk about loss and grief in society much. You know, yeah. it's, it's a very cursory thing. It's very much a do that in private. You know, I think there is a conversation to be had as a society that we're at least a little more open about it, more sensitive to it and just more accepting and encouraging of that idea of grief. It can be a very healthy healing thing if you put in the work. It often is like there's. It is absolutely hard. Like I'll be the first to admit that. But the amount of joy I'm able to experience now versus then. Exponential. Yeah. Uh, you know, that'd be my challenge. Ty, you challenge me. I have homework. I would challenge anyone listening. You have homework too. <laughs> Do the work. You know, if you, if you have nothing to grieve, consider yourself incredibly fortunate. If you do have something to grieve, do the work. Start. Feel your feels. Feel your feels. Feel your feels. Understand your whys. Ty, what do you want to plug? Uh, well, if you are done feeling depressed, uh, <laughs> pop over to my channel at Whiskey Lodian. You can get on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, and just enjoy a good laugh think about all your old shows you enjoyed and if you love what we're drinking make it yourself enjoy it with us again that's whiskey lodian awesome and i'm going to make sure to link that in the show notes uh ty again thank you for being a guest if my voice thank sounds off it's me, because uh, i had some bourbon go down the wrong pipe so <laughs> forgive that ty i appreciate you being on i appreciate you man have a good night you too Fascinating people, fascinating places. The weekly podcast available on all major platforms. I definitely knew I was going to be an astronaut. That coronavirus is a work of God. There's a huge conspiracy at work. There were a number of spies. It straddles fantasy and reality. It ain't so funny once the rabbit got the gun. Uh, here's the way about. You're not a Christian, you're a liar. Thanks again to Ty for joining and sharing his story with us. Uh, please go listen to Whiskey Lodian. Ty and Sean do a great job talking about whiskey and classic cartoons. And their second season just started yesterday, July the 19th. I've already listened to the newest episode, and they really picked up right where they left off with some great talk about Rugrats and Pete and Pete. If you're a 90s kid, I highly recommend you go check it out. I'm going to make sure that I have a link in the show notes. 
Also, be sure to follow Ty and Sean at Whiskey Lodian on Twitter and Instagram. And as far as me, me and that old friend, I did reach out to him, and I am really glad that I did. Um, I won't go into the details right now, but I'll leave it at that. I do also want to let you know that you can follow Our Last Mill on Twitter and Instagram at Our Last Mill Pod, or visit us at OurLastMill.com. If you're ever interested in being a guest on the podcast, you can reach out by clicking share your story. And the best advice I think I can give you this week is fill your fills and understand your whys. Also, take time to enjoy a meal with someone you love. We'll be back in two weeks with another great episode.